Back to the Culture Call on Praise 93.3 with L. Spencer Smith. Our desire is to reach and empower the community by discussing a cross-section of relevant topics from various perspectives that are essential to its growth and interpersonal connections. Be sure to save our call-in number 205-752-4800. Be sure to install the free Praise 93.3 app so you can send L. Spencer Smith a message or topic idea. Search for WTSK in your app store. That's right. The Culture Call with your truly L. Spencer Smith right here on Phrase 93.3. It's the place where Tuscaloosa meets the world. Yes. And for the next two hours from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., we're going to be talking a little bit about everything. That's right. From society to sports, education to economics, and definitely from religion to relationships. As always, we are here to create a safe space to have, yeah, empowering, provocative, and yes, sometimes controversial conversations. And guess what? You can tune in and listen right here as we learn together right here on The Culture Call. As always, I want to begin just welcoming those of you who this might be your first time to The Culture Call family. Welcome to the CC family. If this is your first time on board with us, we have amazing conversations and dialogue about whatever is happening in our community and even in our country and the entire world. We try to bring a sprinkle a little bit of everything in there so we'll know what's happening. We won't be late last to loss. But we want to thank you for being a part of our culture call family. Yes. And so however you're listening and wherever you are, welcome to the culture call. Number two, I want to say thank you to all of you who are our recurring listeners who listen every day and you see me in the street or when I'm, when I'm abroad. Yeah. When I'm flying out doing some other work and you see me, you recognize me, you tell me the kind of job, the good job that I'm doing. Listen, you make us the number one talk show, and I am grateful for you, 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 and most certainly you for always being there from the beginning. That's right. Almost coming up into a year next month. Yeah, we've been on the air, and I am grateful for each and every one of you. And then finally, this would not, listen, this day wouldn't even be this day if we didn't give a shout-out, a big shout-out to the inimitable, amazing, awesome Brother Jay who leads us every morning with great, good, great, amazing gospel music. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. And he keeps it hot in this studio so that when I get here, all I got to do is run on and see what the end's going to be until 12 o'clock, right? And so we give a good shout out to Brother Jay. Listen. We want to make sure that everybody stays connected. So number one, uh, if you have an Apple or an Android phone, right, if you've got a smart device, yeah, I need you to go to the App Store. Now, listen, let me back up. This is only going to work right now, and I'll tell you why in a minute, because <laughs> I think you've already figured it out. This is only going to work if you're on wireless right now, right? <laughs> you're going to have to have some wireless connection, right? But go ahead to your App Store and uh, go and search out Praise 93.3 FM, and there you will find our free 99 app. That's right. Download that on your phone, and guess what? You'll be able to hear us from all around the country, definitely all around the world. You'll be able to hear us wherever you are so we can stay connected. Washington, D.C., Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, 
uh-huh, Columbus, Ohio, Jackson, Mississippi, Dallas, Texas, and definitely right here in Tuscaloosa, Birmingham, Montgomery, Mobile, Huntsville, Gordo, Reform, Utah, Bology. Now, if I missed your city, do not get mad at me. I'm just glad that you are listening to The Culture Call. Absolutely. Go ahead and download that app. Yeah. And also, let me go ahead and be your public service announcer. Yeah. And you can email that to culturecall.praise at gmail.com. Your public service announcer and your events that's going on in your church. Yeah. Your organization, your fraternity, your sorority, whether you're an artist getting ready to have a concert or a preacher getting ready to start a revival. That's right, fire revival. We want to let everybody know what's happening so that they can come and put their face in the place to let you know that what you're doing really matters to our community. You know why? Because we do it better when we do it together. And as always, the quickest way to be a part of the show, because I love when you're a part of the show, is to give me a call, 205-752-4800. That's 205-752-4800. Call me up, and definitely you can hit me up on the app. Guess what? Because the app has a chat feature. So for those of you who cannot call in, you know, because you're at work, but you're listening on your your earpods, you're listening on your earphones, whatever that might be. Yeah, you can de- definitely hit me up on the app as well. And uh, I will read it and let our listeners know what you think about it. Let you know what you think about the show that we're doing. Or you can give me show ideas if, you, if I'm if I'm not talked about something in this year <laughs> that you don't think I need to talk about. Absolutely. I welcome all of that. Definitely. You can call in. Listen, I need you to go to social media and follow me, follow me on the Culture Call page. All you got to do is press the like button and there you will be a family member of our social media Culture Call page on Facebook. There you can send me uh, messages and you can send me your announcements there as well. If you don't want to email it to culturecall.praise at gmail, yes. Uh, uh, Facebook has made it a little bit easier where you can send me a message of what is going on in your community and I will do it there. Man, hey, Bishop, I missed your last couple of shows. Never you fret, never you worry. You can go to Apple Podcasts. That's right, Apple Podcasts. You can go there and search out Culture Call. Leave the article off the and just say Culture Call and there you'll see my face with all of the back uh, uh, the back uh, shows that we've had, the, the shows, the archive shows that we've set up there for you. You can go and listen to all of them uh, and catch up. Yeah, make sure that you're not missing anything because we talk about some really, really good things. things and today is not going to be any different. So do me a favor, sit back and relax. Grab you some coffee. You know how we do it. Maxwell House or Starbucks. Yes. Or if you don't do coffee, you can grab you some herbal tea. Herbal tea. That's right. Healthy tea. Herbal tea. Whether it's chamomile where you're, if, if you're trying to calm down or some green tea. If you need a little caffeine kick without the coffee taste. Yeah. A little ga- caffeine kick to kind of spur you through the day. And definitely always you can get some water. Some alkaline water is my preference. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, the, my favorite is Essentia. It's the black and red label, but you can get that. And, uh, yeah, hydrate yourself. Get hydrated. And guess what? Let's get into the culture. Now, 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 culture call. I know when you woke up this morning, you probably, uh, if you had an AT&T phone or a Verizon phone or a T-Mobile phone, you are going through a little bit of distress 
this morning. Why? Because uh, those systems, those cellular systems are out. Why they are out, I don't know, but they are out. There's no official communication to why they are out on any of the news, uh, uh, the news, all the social media sites, Twitter, Facebook. Nobody's told us what's going on. Somebody knows what's going on, but no one has officially said it yet. So uh, therefore, I'm not going to say it definitely and cause any kind of controversy or suspicion. But yeah. And so, yeah, it's going to be a little challenging day. Uh, for those of you who absolutely depend on your cellular phone, right? Um, this is why in my house we didn't necessarily give up our landlines, <laughs> right? Or if you're in a wireless place, you can still do it wirelessly, uh, but you cannot use your cellular phone. And I am looking every hour on the hour to see whether there is a report uh, that has come through to tell us exactly what is going on. But when I woke up this morning, I saw on my iPhone, I saw SOS. I said, hmm, that's not good. And I know I didn't turn it on. So I don't really know um, uh, uh, about what's happening here. And I want I want to let my listeners know, family, you know, because a lot of us do uh, depend on our cellular phones while we are out, especially if you're traveling, If especially if you're traveling any distance or anywhere. Yeah, not having cellular phones is a very, 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 uh, a very hard thing. That's that's a very challenging thing because you can't communicate without to the outside world without that cellular, those cellular towers working. So hopefully they will get it uh, uh, repaired and back up. So that, you know, we can continue to communicate. But until then, until then, you've got radio. And if you've got wireless, you can hear me on the app. And we're going to give you all of those reports as soon as we get them. Um, because something is going on. It's, it's a nationwide. It's not just Alabama, but it's all over the nation, right? That these uh, AT&T, again, uh, Cricket Wireless, I just got that in. Cricket Wireless, T-Mobile, Verizon, all of those cellular uh, uh, towers are out. Yes, they are out, and you cannot, you cannot uh, make a phone call right with your cellular phone. So, yeah, uh, we pray that they get it uh, done quickly and that right early. Uh, but until then, we are, we are here. Listen, so much is going on in our country that we need to pay attention to. Say it one more time. So much is going on in the United States that we need to pay attention to, especially as a black community. And uh, uh, today I just I want to kind of talk about this whole idea of black viability and black worth. And uh, let me just talk to you about it, that, you know, from our very beginning, since this is Black History Month, I want to bring us into an understanding. And I hope that you all get this, that everything that comes to us. Uh, and in any kind of space, you have to understand our existence, our initial existence, origin existence in this country was commodification. In other words, we were a product. Although, you know, we call it slave enslavement, but, but we were the fuelers, especially in the South, of capitalism, of American wealth, uh, 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 you know, that, that, was that caused this young country to be the top economic force in the world because they've received years and years of free hundreds of hundreds of years of free labor right and uh produced by us with the cotton with the rice with the sugarcane all of that you know uh they had insurance on our black bodies 
um, as if we were, again, property. And that that's what we were viewed as. But come closer, come closer, culture call. Let's shake the table. There, That is still what we are viewed as. <laughs> that hasn't changed. I know we, 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 we have come into the understanding that we are human beings created in the image of God. Uh, but you have to understand that we are also some of, not some of the, we are also the largest consumer base, not producer base in this country. So when, when things and products come out uh, of a certain sort, uh, they market them to us because they understand the viability of our dollar. Now, here's the deal that we've created historically with Black Wall Street, with Rosewood in Florida, uh, Wall Street in Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and all around this country, even in Seneca Village in New York, that is currently that they they burned down and they put in a swamp and that's currently the Central Park, right? That, that was a black town uh, before it was Central Park. Seneca Village was there. Uh, that we have been a driving force and produce of producers, right? Entrepreneurship, our inventions and our ingenuity fuel the power of our country. That right today, the stoplight with uh, and the gas mask with Gary A. Morgan. Oh my goodness, uh, we can just go down the list. Eli Whitney, we can just just go down the list of the inventions uh, that Black people have made in this country, and what and what happens is. We we made it, but a lot of times when it was made, we weren't able to get patents or to own our own inventions. Those that owned our our forefathers and our ancestors were the ones that patented it, right? That we they were the ones that you know say you know all of that. I just want to make sure that you understand Thomas Edison. They give credit for the light bulb, but it was Lewis Latimer that made the filament because Thomas Element uh, Edison's filament was what was burning too fast and so lewis latimer came and he made the filaments uh that caused the the light bulb to last long and to be viable right sometimes i think it is important for us to revisit history our history in this country because and and i'm going to tell you why i'm saying that i think it's very important so that we can begin to understand the creative genius and uh, the production orientation that God has given to us uh, as black and brown people. I think that's very important. And, uh, and, and, and so, but, but here, the, the whole idea is to pitch in our minds that we are worthless or don't have as much value because we don't own certain items. That when you understand Gucci and you understand Louis Vuitton, when you understand all those other high price items, Christian Louboutin, Hermes, some of you are like, what in the world is he talking about? No, those are high, 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 extremely priced items. When you look at the the configurations they use, when you look at all of the the designs that they use, when you track it and trace it, they come from the African continent and African tribes. But because we don't know that, they utilize those patchworks, they utilize that, that, that creativity that came from Africa, and they sell them back to us as points of status. Uh, yeah, that we really think we're something because we're wearing a fur coat. Well, we were wearing fur coats in Africa. I mean, yeah, that that, that was a sign of wealth that they got from, yeah, Africa, right? And, and you know, in this country now, you know, you know, 
that part of the marketing genius, I'm going to say it's genius. I'm not going to say it's deceptive, right? But part of the marketing genius is how can we get black people to utilize their money, their capital upon things that are unnecessary to show that, see, we are still uh, so insecure about who we are in this country that we try to purchase things to to, uh, uplift our status, right? Because we want to be viewed as if we are such a much, right? That's why folks out here buying their kids two and $300 uh, Jordans, that they're getting the high-priced things and sending, you know, their CDF students with all of these amenities. This is why we're buying the highest-priced electronic devices. We're buying, we're doing all of these things, you know, uh, we're buying Teslas for teenagers and all this thing because in our minds, in our collective consciousness, we've not yet understood of that, that that is a way of the transfer of wealth from out of our pockets back into the coffers of the merchants, of the capitalists, of those who, you know, who were once, whose families and pedigrees were once the slave owners, right? That when you understand that when we talk about black viability and we talk about black worth and value, that at the end of the Civil War, that they promised to give us 40 acres and a mule and three five hundred dollars three hundred or five hundred dollars one of those uh via general sherman then they assassinated uh president lincoln and here's what they did they took the land back that they gave the slaves gave it back to the slave owners and guess what gave reparations to who gave reparations to the slave owners Let me repeat that again because I know you didn't hear what I just said. They gave reparation to the slave owners. Reparation to the slave owners because of the wealth and the money that they lost now that their slaves were considered free by the federal government. They didn't pay the slaves who for years had worked and um, had labored for free in this country that built the foundational wealth of this country. No, they pay, pay the people that owned us and their children. So it's not that they don't understand reparations. They, they understand that giving a generation, giving people reparations tilt the scale of wealth, of worth, of value, of viability in this country. So they took it back. And then, watch this, then they created a narrative, because we couldn't be their slave, they created a narrative that black folks were what? Lazy. Yeah, the same black folks that you went over and got through uh, from Africa and brought over this country to the transatlantic slave trade, those same people that were picking your cotton and, you know, your rice in South Carolina that was, you know, the indigo, the same black people that were harvesting sugar cane and working on your fields and doing all that, that was nursing your children, that were taking care and cooking for you. The same black people that were working from night and day and did not break. Now, after these slaves, are the enslaved are free, you have created a narrative that black people are lazy, that we are dim-witted, that we are unintelligent, that we are not profitable. Right. And then they fueled it with things like, especially when you get to post reconstruction going into the Jim Crow era. Yeah. Then they fuel it with nonsense like go back to where you came from as if 
our being here in America is an issue of immigration. Like none of us like chose to be here. Not one. (laughs) We are here today as products of people who did not want to leave their native land. Period. Right. And and, you know, part of the culpability is the uh, the the greed and the avarice uh, of and ignorance of some of the African tribes and kingdoms that were there that they as, as they sold prisoners of war to Europeans, to Portugal. Yeah. To Spain, to other European countries. Right. And and so, yeah, that that so there was culpability around. But watch this comma. Those were prisoners of war. When they came to this country, they became chattel, chattel property. They became uh, just like the cow and the donkey and the ox and the and, and the mule. That's how we were seen beast of burden. Right. That we were the, the ones that were going to work to bring them, if you look at some of the slave documents of, of what it, they, you know, what they call black men books, and they would rate exactly what kind of productivity and you could you could bring to their families, right? That they willed us just like they you willed grandmama's ring or granddaddy's pocket watch. They willed black bodies to generations to serve, to slave, to be enslaved, right? Because we were commodified, right? That we were here to produce. When we got freed, now we're good for nothing. Go back to where you come from because we don't want to share the wealth. Are we in Black History Month? Let me give you some Black History. So that's whole I think. So they created things. They created uh, restaurants that had white only, and we couldn't eat in the restaurants. They created hotels that we couldn't stay in, or we had to enter into the back door, and we could only be servile there. We could only be servants or maitre d's or cooks or waiters there. Then what did we do? We said, no problem. Guess what? We'll create our own hotels. We'll build our own businesses. And when we did that, they got so outraged. Come on. And it's not been too long ago. Yeah, they got outraged that every time the black community built something of wealth and viability, they came to riot it, protest it, destroy it, burn it down to the ground. See, but in this narrative that we have, they will make you think that's us that do that. No, they were the originators from the Native Americans all the way up. Whenever they saw black wealth, black achievement, black accomplishment, yeah, they sought to destroy it and to disperse it because that did not line up with the narrative that they were trying to create, right? And that's important to know. That's important for our children to know. That's important for our our, our people to know and understand that in this country, we've always been commodified. Now, why do you say that? Why do you why do you want to why did you say that? Because when you look at when you get to the wars, right, that they created this GI Bill that was supposed to give veterans viability, great interest rate on housing. Black and black people did not get that, that they came back here as GIs, as veterans of wars and in watch this and wanted us to take off the uniform. If we didn't, they would lynch and or burn us. Because there was something about Americana that has never wanted to admit that black people should be a part of the com- uh, the commerce, of the capital effort, of the property wealth, 
of everything. That was something that they fought against, redlining, all of those things, right? Creating ghettos, creating projects, right? To put these black folks there so that they would not have economic and uh, monetary viability, that they would not do anything of worth, right? And then here it is, you go forward and then you get people who they allowed, according to Dr. Katie Jean Cannon's uh, 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 chart of institutional worth, then they get select black ones. They get select black ones, right? Uh, this was the issue that W.E.B. Du Bois had with Booker T. Washington, right? Because Booker T. Washington got money from the white people to, yes, help him build Tuskegee Institute that we know to be Tuskegee University. But But what we understand is that he was, his thing was, you know, black people would never be that. So we need our own training centers. We need this. And in one hand, it was correct, but his notions were not all correct. And and what W.E.B. Du Bois was saying at the time is that, no, let us raise up this talented temp. Let us put our best people in places. And yeah. And so they utilized, watch this, white adjacency to the institution. You remember I told you whiteness is the institution, not white people, but the institution and put some of us there, and we used that and gave us certain things, allowed us to live in their neighborhoods, called it integration, a few of us who were of a certain echelon, right? And and to show, and here's the deal, that those people that have that, that adjacency to the institution, right, begin to look down on us, uh, down on the folk that could not afford. And so then we did what we do again. You don't want us to come to your Yales. You don't want us to come to your Harvards. You don't want us to come to your Princetons, right? Then we'll build our HBCUs, right? And then we'll produce all over the country black excellence, black academic excellence, that people, that our people can be viable, that our people can participate in the economy, that we can be doctors, lawyers, teachers, preachers. We can do all of us, engineers, right? And then what did they do? They turn once they saw the viability of that, they tried to restrict funds, and that is going on to until this day. Restrict funding to HBCUs because why do HBCUs exist? Well, come on, come on. History says HBCUs exist exist because we had no other place to be educated. Because why? You would not allow us into your universities. Now this is important because I'm 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 weaving a narrative. Today, I read an, uh, 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 an article, right, that uh, the former president released these gold shoes at SneakerCon. And the man on Fox News said this, that he's going to peel off black folks because you know black people like expensive sneakers. And he priced them at $399, these gold sneakers, <laughs> you know, that's reminiscent of the 80s when rap artists used to wear gold around their necks. And you have to understand, he comes from New York. He lives in New York. So his mindset is still thinking that that's what we want. And so they can produce a product that's going to siphon money off of us and put us on his side because you made us some sneakers? What? Are you serious? Right? And this is the, the reason why I bring this up in the history of this is because we've got to begin to think differently about our viability, what we're doing with our capital, how we are teaching our children to be responsible and intelligent and to produce something out of their lives and not just be people who are consumers, 
But people who start businesses are entrepreneurs who are academically educated and who are intelligent and work in the marketplace, in public policy and public places and in offices and not just entertainers, not just football players. Absolutely not. And we're going to talk about that today because I think that's something that need, we need to talk about uh, and have a conversation about this whole issue of black viability and worth. And how do we see ourselves in America? Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about this morning on the Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith, right here on Praise 93.3 FM, your inspiration station. Keep it right here. There's more to come. Don't miss it. This is the world back right here on the culture call with yours truly L. Smith. That's right. Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. And we're talking about, yeah, black worth viability. How can we really understand this whole issue of collectivism when we come together and understand who we are, our capital, our morals, our values, our identity. There needs to be a reassertion of all of those things from the from the home to the church to the schools, everywhere we go, we need to talk about how valuable our existence is in this country. And whether you know it or not, culture call, that black viability and worth is being attacked. Yeah, especially in the South. Pay attention. Pay attention. Get off all of those other things and on social media uh, that just keep you laughing and TikTok and all that. No, pay attention. Yeah, absolutely. See, right now in Alabama, in Alabama, listen to me, in Alabama, while y'all kikikiing and laughing and all this buying stuff, let me tell you what's happening. That right now there is a bill, a Senate bill, SB 129, and it's being pushed and shoved through Alabama. Let me tell you what it's, it's about. It's about diversity, equity, and inclusion by Senator Will Barfoot from some from a place called Pike Road, right? He's a senator. That that is 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 he doesn't want diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now just listen to those words. Diversity, equity, and inclusion to be included in any kind of state program. Nothing. In the schools, everything. That that uh, we don't want to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. See, let me say this. Let me just park park right here. That we got to get serious now. I've been screaming this and saying this on this talk show at my church on the pulpit. Listen, we need to come out. Listen, I believe in dancing and shouting, having a good time. But that there are um, there are moments. There's a time for all things, says so Ecclesiastes, and we need to see what they're doing intentionally. See, what, here's, here's here's what you need to understand: the South is still upset about losing the Civil War. What? What you say, Bishop? What? I'm telling you. (laughs) They are still mad. They are still mad that secession didn't work, that they lost, that they had to lose their slaves because that was their economy. They are still upset. Generations and generations apart, which tells me, watch this. Let me tell you what that tells me, that 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 history, that Confederate segregationalist history has been taught from generation to generation. Now, that's where I believe that they have won up on us. Because I don't believe that we've taught our history 
perpetually through generations like they have taught their history. There are young people today of, of, of you know, that are uh, faithful to the institution. So they got you believing in one thing while in activity there's a, palp- a palpitation of, of bills and, and laws that are working. That's how they always did it. Even when you get to the 13th and 14th Amendment, right? There ain't no more slavery except you get charged with the crime. And disproportionately, black people get charged with crimes and put in jail, right? And so what it says is that they can become a slave of the state. Yeah, uh, they can become a slave of the prison system. And then you understand who is invested in the prison system and how much money they make off of prison systems off of prisoners, right? When you understand that, if, if you really understood that, then the, 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 the conversation with your child and that young boy that's out in the street that's thinking that, oh, that uh, there's some kind of glamour and some kind of superstar uh, equity that will be had if they go to jail, please understand that is jail is the new plantation. After Richard Nixon's war on drugs, rewind that. After Richard Nixon's made up war on drugs, right? Because we didn't even have the capital to have drugs on the level. They made up that, that, that war on drugs and it lasted for so very long. That war on drugs was the precursor to mass incarceration in our country. Yeah. And so that, that this is important. Mass incarceration. And and mass incarceration affected who? Who? Who did it affect more? Black folks. Yes. Our young boys, our young girls, our fathers, our uncles, our sons, our brothers were placed in jail for what would be misdemeanors with exorbitant and ridiculous levels of lengths that they had to stay incarcerated to gain as close as they could free labor. If you knew what they paid a prisoner to to produce their license plate, all everywhere, everything from your license plate to uh, pillows uh, to your mattresses. Watch this to making meat that goes into fast food. That one of your fast food chains, one of your favorite. Fast food chains use prison labor to produce the meat so that you can eat it. So you got to know these things. Our children don't know these things. They don't. And we have to become concerned about it. Huh? Yeah, we have to become concerned about it. That's what. And we cannot, listen, y'all, we cannot just sit there and act as if Oh, no. Now, watch this. Watch this. Then we're living, our mindsets have, have been taught to not worry about import, important economic things until we get old and or older. Right? And so we, we, we're talking about the lack of insurance. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about health insurance. I'm talking about life insurance. That, that other communities use other races, for the lack of a better term, use to create generational wealth, leaving their children that, not just burial insurance, not just to put you in the ground, but that when you leave here, your children have $100,000 to, 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 to 
Yeah, as they mourn, they're going to the bank. Right? Now, our foreparents used to believe in that, and the insurance companies started acting uh, forgetful as if our, our foreparents didn't pay that. Because I remember the insurance uh, company coming to my grandparents' house, Horace Mann, Horace Mann Insurance. I remember them coming and them paying their insurance year after year, right? See, we don't understand that if we're not paying attention right before our eyes, but let me get back to this bill. They don't want diversity, equity, inclusion, right? I told you months ago, it started in South Carolina. Then it moved to Florida, yeah, with uh, Ron DeSantis, right, banning books, you know, taking out books that and courses that affected uh, uh, affected African American African American history. Let's take it out. Advanced courses. Not only that, then he started attacking uh, higher education and HBCUs. Wait a minute, push pause. That's right. HBCUs can barely teach <laughs> African American history, African American psychology. Right. Already, right? And now they're trying to do it. I told you it was going to come quietly in Alabama. And here it is. They're starting off with diversity and equity and inclusion. We don't want that. We don't want that. So much so that the mayor of Birmingham, Randall Woodfin, just said, if they pass this bill that I'm going to talk about, I'm going to tell all of the African-American students that go to Auburn and University of Alabama to go someplace else, go to another state. Right? Now, and then, you know, he posted that on Twitter, and I read, because, I, see, I, I wanted to read the comments. First of all, I wanted to see how many, how, much, how many of our people were aware of it. Number two, I wanted to see what the counter-narrative was. Because in America, if you understand, narrative is a commodity. That, that we are the greatest nation, and that we are, it's American exceptionalism. That's a narrative. That's a story that they have created, Right? I've traveled a, a little bit around the world, and I can tell you that it is a narrative. <laughs> I want you to understand, right, that that is a narrative that we sell to produce this mentality of American exceptionalism, right? And so, yeah, but now you have this, and they're going to push it through, and then you're going to slowly see them try to remove it from Stillman's, try to remove African studies from our schools, move, remove it from if they've not done it already, right? Because we don't understand. A lot of times when we get interested is when they've already passed the bill. Huh? When we get interested and involved is when they've already made the mandate. And watch this. Although we make up, a, as black people, a lucrative, uh, a, a significant portion of, 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 of the population in southern states, Mississippi being the greatest, right, that they still, they still win. They still control super majorities, right? They, and you have to stop and ask yourself why. Because we've not learned about the viability of our vote, We've not learned about the viability of our vote. We've not learned how to cast our vote. We've not learned how to pay attention. And I'm not just talking about for the president. I'm talking about for these people who represent us in Congress. For who these people represent us in Montgomery. Right? We don't understand that if we operated with some level of black collectivism like they do, 
because there's always going to be everybody's point of view. Well, 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 I ain't doing this. I ain't doing that. You know, we have that attitude and that's been sown into us. That's where that whole mentality of crabs in a barrel come in. Because when we see one of us advance and we see one of us, there comes this jealousy. There comes this envy. There comes this, or, or there comes whoever we put up, forget that we sent them there, and now they're adjacent to what? The institution. Come on, catch up. They're adjacent to the institution and forget about our concerns as a community. So one of the things we've got to really do, especially to black men, I want to talk to black men that's talking, but I'm going to vote for Trump. You think, you <laughs> Look, look, all I'm going to do is tell you, look at the man's history. I'm going to tell you, look at the man's history, right? That's all I'm going to tell you. See, Byron McDonald in Florida and Tim Scott in North Carolina, uh, South Carolina, yeah, they have purchased into proximity in the institution for what it brings to them, not to all of us as a collective. No, not at all. No, 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 no. That's not what it does. No. And so you see him doing this and this and that and that. And, and, and back in the 80s, in the hip hop, you know, when that when Donald uh, Trump's uh, business life was just a marketing tool, his, but his dealings were shady and private. Right. All of them. They want to be they want to be Donald Trump or Jason Trump, this and Trump that in New York and up north. Right. And, and and those things. And so that's kind of what they they still have that idea that he is he is. He is the poor man's idol of a rich man. What we have found out now is that he is not, he is not as, uh, 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 what is that? He's not as wealthy as he has sold himself to be over the generations. That's what we found out. And yet you've got black men that say, hey, well, I'm going to vote for him. What? Are you serious? Read his history. Read the history of the Central Park Five and see what he said. Read the history of the federal indictments that were given to him because he would not rent to black people. Check his history. Check his history. And that is who you want to lead you, who's doing everything in his power to curtail you, to stop you, to limit you as a black man. That's what you're going to do. You see? Well, well, the institution is for no, no. Listen, I get all of the, but you don't know enough to to complain to complain the way you do. You don't know enough about the truth. Get off, get off of YouTube and all these conspiracy theories. Pick up a book and just read it. That America, no matter who you vote for, Democrat and Republican, all of them are steeped in the institution. Right? You have to understand that. You have to understand that this government is 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 a partner with the institution. And but but watch this, but who was the one who's the one that's canceling student debt? Huh? The economy. Who's got the lowest black unemployment? I'm not saying who to vote for, I'm saying do your homework. To understand and don't let yourself, don't let our community, your families be used. To prop up an idea that you're never going to participate in. His rallies, his rallies off time bar black people, the people around it. And the ones that you do see are hired actors are paid. What? Exactly. See, my thing is when you get out of the mindset 
that is all about the M-O-N-E-Y, then you stop participating, watch this, in this capitalism and stop making capitalism your God so that you can begin to be moral and ethical in your choosing for who leads us. That's important. Think about your children in school. Think about the opportunities that are 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 not available to you. Right? Just because you can go to the golf club now, and just because you can go to some of the restaurants now, does not preclude you from thinking, hey, wait a minute, or exclude you from thinking that I've got to always be a person who is thinking. I've got to be, always be a person who remembers who I am and who how I'm, my viability in this moment. You can never, one thing my father told me when I was growing up as a little black boy, he said, you can never keep your head off the swivel. You got to always keep watching, always keep reading, always keep studying because they are, watch this, the institution. The institution are, is masters at leisure domains. They are cunning craft at magic. They they will make you think something that's not really there. They are serpentine. You have to be careful, right? And we are so easily fooled because when somebody talks about money and somebody talks about this and getting that and that, listen, do not deduce yourself to unplanned materialism, Right? But, but that, that, that this has to be something that we are prepared for, prepared for wealth, prepared to operate in a different sector, in a different segment of life and bring our value back and teach our children, hey, here is what we need to do. Here is what we need. Here is how you need to format your life. Here is what needs to happen now. Here is what here is why you need to go to school. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to go to a, a four-year college because some people are not college material. But here is why you need to learn the trade so you can earn, you can, you can begin your own businesses. Here is why you need to be a brick mason. Here is why you need to be a pipe fitter. Here is why you need to be an electrician with the, with the whole goal and the idea of being an entrepreneur so that you can create your own business and dictate your financial future. Here's why you need to own your own business. Here is why. We've got to have those conversations. Don't just put shoes, Jordans on their feet and not be concerned with education in their heads and an understanding of stewardship and understanding of how to take care of the money. Because if we let our children continue in the way that they're going, it's going to be destructive to the black community, the black family, the black home, because a lot of our young people don't want to get married. Number one, they can't afford it. Some of them can't afford it. But number two, the way they view relationships. We talked about that the other day, the way they view relationships. We're not going to have another generation and we got to do better. Absolutely. Listen, this is the Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith, 205-752-4800 to give me a call or hit me up on the, the app or for the chat. Yeah, I want to know. Stay right here. We've got more to come. Don't miss it. This is the world and we are back. Yeah, it's the top of the hour. 11 a.m. and some change right here on the Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith of Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. Yeah, the best in great gospel music. Absolutely. Listen, we have been talking about black collectivism for this Black History Month. 
But not only for this month, we want to bring to your enlightenment some of the things that are going on. But before we do that, just want to let you know uh, that as we as we are approaching uh, this next this new season, this the first end of the first quarter, March, that March is, yes, the time when we move time forward. It's also the time of the resurrection Easter holiday. And so we want to make sure that you prepare. Go ahead and send in all of your announcements that you're going to be utilizing uh, for your church or your organization, theculturecall.praise at gmail.com. Listen, I know we're going to be flooded with a whole lot of Easter celebrations and resurrection services, etc. I understand it. Listen, this is the place where you don't have to pay for it. So you could go ahead and just email it to me at culturecall.praise at gmail.com or you can hit me up on my Facebook page so that we can begin to announce them on the top of March. Absolutely. And of course, March is my one year anniversary being here on the Culture Call. Yay! We made it a year. And so we're going to be rolling out special gifts, uh, you know, some of my friends are going to come on and we're going to have a conversations about why uh, talk radio and why conversations that we've been having are essential to the black community. Yeah. Uh, and so you just need to make sure that you go ahead and get them in. Now, don't be slow, especially if you are the church secretary, <laughs> right, and responsible for getting out the announcements, right, to not just your church, but everybody in the community, a lot of churches don't read announcements on Sundays uh, like we used to in back in the day. So sending them via snail mail doesn't work like it used to work. I mean, you do what you do, but I'm saying here is a way that you can reach thousands of people. Uh, and all you have to do is send one email. So again, that's culturecall.praise at gmail.com. That's culturecall.praise at gmail.com. Listen, are you a praiser? I mean, you love the praise. Do you still believe in signs, wonders, and miracles? Guess what? Well, this Friday night, I need you to meet me at the Impact Nation Fellowship Church as we have our Praise Power Fourth Friday celebration. And I'm telling you, historically, it is off the chain at the Impact Nation during our Praise Power. We'll have it every uh, fourth Friday in the month, and you don't want to miss that. Listen, come and be my guest. Uh, I'll be preaching there and ministering there. Our praise team is going to be wonderful. You need to come and get your praise on. That's right. Absolutely. And it's this Friday, this Friday night, praise power at the Impact Nation. I want to see your face in the place, right? Good deal. Good deal. Good deal. Looking forward to seeing all of you guys on Friday night. Listen. Let's get back to our conversation because I think it is vital. It is important. It is important for us to make sure uh, that we we understand how we are to move and manifest in this season. And one of the things that I think is so very important is that we got to, first of all, see what is actually happening around us, that we cannot, again, uh, be those who have our who 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 are not woke, who are not keeping our eyes on a swivel because there's a bill, there's a something that's coming up all the time, all of the time, all of the time. And, you know, it's going to have a, a tremendous effect on um, on how we're able to live our lives, not just for us, 
But see, what you need to understand, one of the reasons why uh, that the conservatives wanted to control the, uh, the, the Supreme Court and put younger judges on it, right, is because they're trying to shape policy and thought, ideological thought, for a, a couple of generations, about three or four generations. Because you know, unless there is tremendous travesty uh, that goes on in the country, that those judges stay there un- for life until they can't. And so when you look at how young they are, right, that, yeah, that the younger they are, the, the more, uh, the more, the greater the propensity that they will have to affect generations to come. You know, even when we've gone on from earth to glory, they're going to be affecting our our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, right? And so who we put in certain spaces and places matters. And you got to begin to think about who greatest reflects the concern of my existential reality, of my existence in the world. Who greater reflects that? Is it the Republicans or is it the Democrats? Is it the conservatives or is it the liberals, right? And you may say, well, Bishop, I don't prefer any of of the uh, the parties, right? But you're, we're not asking you to bring them over and be ace, boon, coon buddies with them. But I'm saying do the research and find out who will have the greatest effect on your children, on the generations to come. Don't just sit by idly by and see something happen and then you wait for it wait to complain and you wait to complain because when you do that when you do that you make yourself uh, uh, uh you know you make yourself an agent in your own captivity you make yourself an agent in the own in, in the own destruction of the future generations the limitations of our what our children and our grandchildren can have and what they can do right that you know that watch it's the Supreme Court is controlled by a conservative judges right now, which is nine judges. Right. Here's the deal. You know, if it was here, it is. Watch it. If it was President Barack Obama, former President Barack Obama, uh, saying that championing for presidential immunity, that means that no matter what a president does, that they should be immune from it, from any kind of conviction, indictment, and ultimately jailing, because that's what he's trying to prevent, right? That you and I know, you got to know. Y'all ready? You got to know, here it is, that the Supreme Court would have already adjudicated that by now. They would not be slow walking that. Huh? They would not be slow walking the, just to say, no, the Constitution does not say uh, that a president has ultimate immunity. That's a dictator. That's what we were, that's what we left, but they left Great Britain for. That's why they left then England for, right? But, but you see them slow walking it because they're holding up that, that, that case is holding up federal charges against the former president. You do, you know why? Because there are six, <laughs> six conservative judges, only three uh, maybe one moderate and two liberal judges, right? And so we know it, it, it's showing preferential treatment by trying to slow it down because the hopes is he will become president again and wipe out, y'all, 
wipe out all of the verdicts and the indictments against him. Because now we're walking into the season of criminal indictments, not civil indictments. The money is about civil indictments. The new indictments, are, the coming indictments are about criminal. This is where he could spend jail time. And he's trying to avoid jail. He's always tried to avoid jail. Right? And so now, we, and here it is, we gave him the opportunity in 2016 to load the court with those conservative judges. We did. The arrogance of, of Judge uh, uh, RGB when she should have retired to give, you know, uh, an opportunity to be uh, uh, for uh, something else to happen. You didn't. She didn't do that. Right? And see, so, you know, Judge Kennedy, that was more of a moderate judge, right? was able, they, they, they kind of, you know, did whatever they did so he could retire and then he could put, uh, they could appoint Kavanaugh, who was one of his clerks, to stack the judge, the Supreme Court. Now you're seeing the effect of when you let a corrupt individual get into power, they appoint people that will protect their interest, not yours. My God Almighty, not your interest at all, at all. No. And so we cannot allow that to happen another generation. My chocolate people, culture call. We have to be viable. We've got to be visible. We've got to be aware of what is happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, huh, that you know, what group of people are going to come up on the short end of the stick? Just read history. Absolutely. And so, yes, we've got to begin to call our senators and call those people that represent us in this area, vote against this diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm going back to that. We got to call them and say, hey, don't you don't vote against that. Vote against that. Because that has a destructive, deleterious effect on black people. Period. That's it, it will. It will. But here it is. Here it is. You ready? The, the, the audacity and the gall that you could even present that bill on the floor tells you without the fear or risk of losing your, your job as a senator tells you the kind of people that support him. Come on. Let's put this together like a, a, a puzzle. It ain't hard. We just gotta. We just gotta be. Uh, you gotta pay attention. That there are people that support him. There are people that support Marjorie Taylor Greene. There are people that support Lauren Bobart. There are people that support Tommy Tumberville. There are people. That's how they're there. There are people that support them. And so they do these bills, and watch this, they know those people are not overwhelmingly us, and they're counting on us not to show up. They're counting on us not to be a part of the process. This is why there's a tremendous fight against allowing former felons to have their vote restored once they've served their time to the state. Right? To the institution. You told me I had to be in there five years. Well, I lost my privileges for five years. After five years, why are you still penalizing me and I've served my time? 
No, restore to me the full value of my humanity. Give me the right to vote. But you see, they're still trying to perpetuate that. Why? Because who does that affect the most? Yes, us. Exactly. And so we've got to start thinking. We've got to start thinking. Try it again. We've got to start thinking what that means for us. And not just be sitting there like, oh, well, I don't, you know, I got, you know, I got, no, 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 no. You got to start thinking. What does it all mean? What does it all mean now? Right? And so we begin with the history and we look at the present context. And we also got to start thinking toward the future. Yes. That we begin to talk to our younger people. We begin to understand, number one. That when we say certain things to millennials, millennials are no longer the youth church, <laughs> by the way. They are adults now. Some of them are starting off having grandchildren now. But it's better that those who are on the latter part, those who are in their 28s and 29s, it, they're finding it difficult to be viable in the marketplace. And that's not something that we can ignore. So we have to help navigate and coach them through this interesting economic time, times where they're, they're, they're limited in their choices, times where that money is not flowing to them. Even though it's looking good economically for the country, it's not been a part of the, it, it's not their reality yet. Yes. See, that that's something that's very important. That's something that we've got to start having a conversation in our homes, in our schools, in our churches, in our community forums. We've got to start talking about that. Right? That, yes, we have to begin to create internship corridors. Right? Internship corridors with all of our black business owners for our students who may be in high school. Introduce them to the, the nuances and the intricacies of beginning a business and starting a business and how do you keep it running. Don't just wait till they get in college. Start it now. Business incubation all also it, uh, 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 involves internships and introductions and coaches and mentors. We've got to start doing that. We've got to start getting them the educational help that they need so that they can pass these classes. Because we can't tell them, don't don't take the ACT and the SAT. It's a part, come closer, of the institution. But there are ways around that. Yes, there are ways around that. And so we've got to begin to help them. You know? Right? Even now, uh, one of my cousins, my wife's cousin, uh, Tiffany uh, Moore Bishop, she has an amazing program for to get our students ready for uh, the ACT. Right. We've got to get it ready for the ACT because that's the most difficult. A lot of the colleges, HBCUs, utilize the SAT, but other colleges utilize utilize the ACT. Right. And the truth be told, a lot of our children do not perform well on standardized testing. They're not dumb. They're not ignorant. They are academically smart. They're making the grades. They just don't do well on the format of the ACT. Right. And when you start researching some of these some of these standardized tests, it's just like that IQ test that Michael took back in good times. Y'all remember that? That were not formatted, formatted for our community, for our understanding. No, they were not. 
And so we've got to become aware and provide the help. We've got to begin, yes, to, to, to show them how to be financially viable. And it starts when they're learning how to appreciate money. Give them $5. Give them $10, $20 a month and say, hey, this is your allowance. Figure out what you're going to do. Teach them about the, the, the a principle of, of tithing and giving and then saving for what they want. Because until they learn the appreciation of the dollar, if you continue to go out and start and continue to buy them fancy cars and fancy clothes, but with poor and failing grades, they're not going to make uh, uh, continue to do that. And you're not, they're not going to see how they can do it for themselves, right? They're going to always depend on you. Or if they don't, they're always, they're going to get into something that is criminal because they uh, are addicted. They are used to a certain lifestyle and they've never put in the work. See, so when you give the money, understand that they are on, come on, your payroll. Well, that doesn't sound like gentle parenting. No. See, come, let me tell you something. Gentle parenting has to deal with teaching your child respect and worth for their own being. You respect them. You don't treat them. You don't uh, treat them harshly. You don't abuse them. But that's not, that's not you sitting back while they have no standards. No, that's not gentle parenting. That's foolish parenting. That's somebody who don't want children. You give them your child every, I don't care if you had a difficult birth trying to get them here. Guess what? They got here. Now you have to teach them standards. You've got to teach them how to be viable because guess what? We're not always going to be here. And I'm not just talking about uh, passing away and death. I'm talking about they're going to grow up and try to establish their own life and their own family. And if you don't teach them, how to be viable, have a, a self-viability and understand self-worth and agency, then they're going to be in a place where they're going to be mad sitting on the couch or getting a low-paying job because that's all they can acquire. And they're mad about what the government ain't doing for them. You're not a ward of the government. Let me say that again. You're not a ward of the government. The government's design is to help those who cannot help themselves and the government should. They should provide subsidy and supplement to those who cannot help themselves, who are citizens of this country. They should pay off student loans that can make it uh, make uh, those who are under the burden of that financial pressure, ease that pressure so that they can become viable to produce wealth. Because if my family produces wealth and your family produces wealth and another family produces wealth, it builds up the wealth of the country. Absolutely. When you understand that they put the, 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 uh, the, the, I guess the name and the label of welfare queens on black people, if you do the research, the majority of who's on welfare are white women, not black women. No, but that's who they highlight because it's a narrative. It's a ploy. And so every day we should be having conversations with our children, with our community, with our grandchildren, if, if need be, about, yes, you go well, stay out the streets, learn how to choose your friends. These are the things that we grew up on to instill a, a, a level of expectation and hope and future 
because those are commodities. Yes, those are commodities. Expectation. Have you ever seen an individual? Let me tell you why it's a commodity, why it is a product, why it is something that grounds our humanity and helps us to understand worth, value, and forward movement. Have you ever seen a person that has lost all hope and expectation? Right? That person is a complainer. They will do anything. They will hinge their future on lottery. They will hinge their viability on somebody being able to give them a dollar, a $20 or something. No, they become a panhandler because their only expectation is for somebody else to take care of them. And then when they really get low, then they'll start considering un- un- ending their lives. So part of what we give our children must be, must be culture call, must be expectation, a future, a hope. When the children were in the land of captivity, the Hebrew children, the Israelites, when they're in the land of captivity, we love to quote this in Jeremiah 29. For I know my thoughts concerning you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. King James Version says, most translations says a future and a hope. That, that they were in a place of bondage and captivity, but, but there was a word that came and said, while you're in this place, don't turn to lose your hope. Don't turn to lose your expectation. It's going to turn. And so we have to give that to our children when they are young, that you are going to be great. You are going to be viable. You are going to be one that's effective in your community. You're going to have a great family. You're going to be a great person, a great, a, a great man, a great woman, a great uh, husband, a great wife, a great father, a great mother. We've got to begin to pour that into them now because that is a part of the inheritance. When I read books about our ancestors, Right. When I start reading that and I start thinking about how they survived way less under torturesome environments than we have now, I'd rise up with a sense of expectation and pride and hope for my own life. So that on the days when it looks hard and the days when I'm confronted with the reality of all and seeing all that they're trying to do that's against us. When I'm looking at all of the buffoonery and ignorance around us, it gives me an expectation to say, hey, but you're going, you're going to make it. Your family is going to be great. Your children are going, to, are going to be great. Your grandchildren are going to be amazing. Absolutely. And it is always that second generation that struggles. But you're trying to set a new format, a new paradigm. It's that second generation. It's always that Jacob generation, that Isaac generation that's going to gonna find its way to have to find a, a digging well in a place of famine. Yeah. Then that third generation is always going to, as a pattern, wrestle for, to settle identity and have children that they can bless. That's the Jacob generation. The Abraham generation is the wandering generation. It's the generation that gets the promise. The, uh, uh, the Isaac generation is the place that it seeks to redig wells and begin to be fruitful in the time of famine. Right? That they become productive even in hard seasons. And then that Jacob generation, three generations deep, 
where the blessing begins third in the fourth generation, it begins to, yes, I'm going to wrestle the settled identity and have children so I can bless them and they can become mighty in the earth. I just gave you a plan. I just gave you the plan. I just gave you the divine plan, Coach Call. Don't miss it. You might be the first generation out of poverty in your family. That's a great thing. You're the Abraham generation. You're going to wander, right? But each, you're going to wander. You're going to look for a place. You're, you're trying to find a place where you can set up roots. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no help around you. Get thee out of your family, out of your kindred, out of your country, and go to a land in which I'll show you, Genesis chapter number 12, right? You're that first generation, right? That, and then you're going to have a child, and that child is going to be second generation, and your grandchildren are going to be another generation. You see, a generation. And you got to start thinking about how do I want my, my blood to show up? And black people, we've got to think about our viability. It does matter who, who we elect. It does matter who's the prosecutor, who's the DA. It does matter who's the mayor. It does matter who sits on the city council. It does matter who's the senator, who's the congressman. It does matter who's the president. It does matter who are the judges. And the moment that that does not matter, you then stop participating in Americana. You stop participating and, 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 and stop uh, uh, fulfilling your civic responsibility. What you're saying is I'm willing to let whoever gets there and sits there adjudicate my life for me and my children and my grandchildren in the future. Whenever you don't show up, whenever you're not speaking what you need to speak, whenever you're not developing a base for your family to jump off, Right? We know how they come. We know how all these the institution works. And every time there's an advancement in the institution, there are people. See, listen, the institution is about access in privilege. It's not really about race. It's about access in privilege. And when you begin to give other people access to the same privilege, they feel like it's reverse racism. They feel those who have been privileged because they understand that they are privileged. They know that it's not equal humanity. They know that they wouldn't want to trade spaces with somebody who has not been born in that privilege. And in this country, skin color is privilege, period. It's become an institution. It's beyond skin color, it's an institution. And so when you talk about things like viability, diversity, equity, and inclusion, when you do talk about, yeah, yeah, when you talk about those things and you show up at the, at the job interview and you do all this in X, Y, Z, right? Part of that mentality, unbeknownst to them, is to protect what? Privilege. The privilege that they have. The privilege that they gain. Right? And... And there are those of us who have become adjacent and connected to certain levels of privilege, right? But then we are of the worst kind because we don't want to see all of us have that same access and that same privilege. Because part, you, whether you know it or not, there are people that enjoy watching you suffer. Yeah, so, so that you go, it's called shooting Freud. 
schadenfreude. Yeah, it's called that that they believe that the misery of others helps them, makes them feel good about themselves. And so they'll get on, they'll be, they'll, they'll be just as black as you and I and get on Fox News and talk about what we as black people need to do. They love it. And you can run the list down. You can run the list because they don't understand that the whole idea of the institution is about privilege and access and who has it and who does not. Absolutely. And so we've got to begin to understand in our community how to build that whole idea and make this community one that focuses on producing the best of all of us generationally, not just in your family, but in everybody's family. Everybody has that responsibility. Listen, this is the Culture Call with yours truly, Al Spencer Smith, right here on Praise 93.3 FM, your inspiration station. Keep it right here. There's more to come. Don't miss it. This is the world And we are back right here on the Culture Call with yours truly, Al Spencer Smith, Praise 93.3 FM, your definite inspiration station. Absolutely. We're having a beautiful morning and have had a beautiful morning and a very provocative conversation about black viability worth in this country. I want to address something really quickly in our last few minutes of the show because I think it's very important. And I want to send, if I can, a particular caution and uh, to us with regards to that. I want to talk a little bit about protecting the brand i'm going to talk about a little bit about that what do you what do you, what do you mean what do you mean bishop protecting the brand that we are in a season where in our community part of the seeming quote-unquote assignment or co- part of no not even assignment part of the way that many are making their money um in this social media kind of thing, you know, in, in this era, <laughs> is exposure and destroying the brand of someone else and in our community. So to position, so that a person can position themselves as a better one or a greater one. And one of the things that I want us to stop doing is really thinking that that, that that's a way to make it one of the one of the worst things that have happened is it, well, it's two things. One, social media. I was teaching this on last night at the church that social media has really done a a, a great job on decreasing the mental processing and the advanced intelligence skills of people. I'm not going to say black people, white people. But since I am talking about black people, definitely black people with TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, that they are limiting the time of processing. They're limiting the time of thinking and thought because what's most important is not accuracy. It's the promulgation of information. It's how quickly I can get it out there and how many followers and fans that I can get to like my page because those particular uh, social media giants, Meta, Facebook, Instagram, all the, the own those, uh, TikTok, uh, uh, Twitter, X now, they are finding ways or they found a way to commodify uh, information or commodify, you know, followers based upon, you know, if I have this many followers, 
then they're going to give me this amount of money. So many people right now, YouTube as well, they go out and they, they, one of the quickest ways to get a bunch of followers, watch this, is creating a controversial narrative. Whether you have the information correct or not, right? Right. For some people, it's easier to apologize than to ask permission or to investigate. So they put out certain notions about people in our community uh, just to gain followers, just to gain, uh, uh, you know. And there is also something that I'm not going to say is innate in us. It's inherited in our, in, our, in our mentality. But there's this thing that somebody else is making it is the reason why I'm not. And if given the opportunity, I want to I want to bring a truth. I want to shine a light on that person and the way they did such and so forth. You know, it's gossip on steroids. Right? But what we are not understanding is that we are diminishing each other's advancement in brands attempting to gain to capitalize, right? That we are the Rona Barrett's. We are the Donna Hughes, the Sally Jeffrey, Jesse Raphael's. We are the Oprah Renfries that, that don't even have that kind of, we're taking pieces and nuggets and people who traffic in the dark web and, and, and the, and black internet, not color, but in those areas where they begin to create an alternative narrative. And it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. It doesn't matter whether it is true or not. Absolutely. What matters now, what matters is that, guess what? I done got information and I've got 100,000 followers. And, but you did it a lot of times destroying somebody else's brand, destroying somebody else's name, right? And what, what, what we have found is that there are people that will pay you to do that to powerful people, advancing people in our community that they will pay you to destroy their name, to mess up their brand, so that they, it's another way of burning down Black Wall Street, burning down Seneca Village. It's another, it's another way to burn down Rosewood. Anything that looks like it is advancing, right? Anything that looks like it is, it is achieving, just look at it. Look at it. You just stand back and look at it. You know, that that we will we will devour ourselves we will eat our own just to make a buck there is good money and bad money and you can gain nothing by telling somebody else's truth from your perspective and using that to gain money using that you see what i'm saying that there there's there's a way where where you have to understand that if you do not, if you do not see each other's person. See, because if if we all have skeletons in the closet, guess what? Sooner or later, and maybe never, will come out. I just read an article uh, about John MacArthur. He's a, uh, you know, a reform pastor, racist, bigot, whatever, arrogant to no end. But guess what? Back in the 80s and 90s, he was one of the ones that were teaching men, 
you know, he had this whole big thing about men. And so all of us in our community, we're going and following, reading his books and going to these conferences, blah, 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 and all of that. But, but here lately, he just put out something about how Martin Luther King was not a, a Christian. He was a heretic. He was a this, a philanderer and all that kind of stuff. So now he didn't pick on Jimmy Swaggart. He didn't pick on anybody else. He chose one of our revered, our revered black leaders in the civil rights movement who's who's historically internationally well known right to attack him right that, that that's one thing what was the thing though in in the comments you had black people black men in particular siding with him saying well yeah we got to call it out wait a minute Number one, that's not biblical because number two, you weren't alive when he was alive. Number three, you didn't tell him. The Bible says if you got an art, if it offended you, that man, go tell your brother. But listen, Coretta was there, so why are you mad? Why do you think it is your pension or your responsibility to champion a cause for somebody else's supposed pain and perspective? That is something that is running rampant, you know? I'm not saying that there are not wicked and evil people, but I'm saying that it ain't necessarily our job and our responsibility to call it out, right? That it's not my job to rebuke somebody who I have no relationship with. If we understood the context of rebuke, rebuke and correction always works. If it's biblical, always works in the realm of having previous relationship because rebuke is not simply to talk about what was wrong. Rebuke is also, it ought to end in repair and repositioning and reconstruction, reestablishing. You see what I'm saying? So why are you up trying to rebuke somebody who you have no relationship with All you're doing is being a destructive force. You're calling it light, but you're walking in darkness. And that is one of the things we've really got to stop doing. Really got, because now you begin to cause people to traffic in suspicion. And, and you you put out things like that. Well, I don't know if it's true or not. Well, if it's not true, if you don't know if it's true, then why is your mouth even open? Why are you even talking about it if you don't even know it's true? Why is that subject matter for you to even broach? See, you're being used as an instrument to destroy black viability and agency, black productivity. Okay, so you don't like Oprah. And I'm not, I don't, I, see, I don't say nothing about it because I don't know her like that. I'm not, you know, for years, in, in, insecure men have been coming against black preachers and black men have been coming against Oprah because She's having a destructive effect on on my wife or my girlfriend. Well, but sir, back up. What are you doing? What are you doing? Because my wife has listened to Oprah, and it ain't never had no destructive effect on me. You know when Oprah was on. You see, so so the issue is we don't want to take ownership of of what we are lacking and what we're doing. We want to blame it on somebody who has power and agency. How are you going to talk about this person? How are you going to see it's it's, it's almost hypocritical because how are you going to talk about on one hand what you're not getting from Lee Daniels, from Tyler Perry and from Oprah? How are you going to talk about what the industry? But then but then, comma, you got a whole son that you're not even talking about. You're not talking to. 
That yeah. How how do we do that? Because there is not a standard to understand that we have a responsibility of building the things that help us rise together. Yeah, a sense of black collectivism and not uh, an assignment to destroy each other because of our perceived lack of this. And of course, there are nuances in the story, I'm sure, that I'm not aware of, so I'm, I'm not particularly aware. I can only talk about what you put out. That's another conversation because it's wrong for you to put out on social media and things of that nature and then come back. You put it out in the public and then talk about, well, my life is private. Y'all keep my name out your mouth. Well, you put our name in your mouth. You did that because you were trying to gain viability. Huh? Absolutely. I think it's important for us to recognize that. And if we fail to do so, we're going to be the ones... You know, when we deal with one of one of let me let's go history. One of J. Edgar Hoover's uh, tactics in destroying the black power movement in the 60s and the 70s was uh, uh, causing aligning himself or uh, uh, imploring black people to uh, to to be subversive within the context of the black Panthers. Right. A uh, 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 brother Hampton was killed in Chicago. Right? Because of a black informant. <laughs> right? That that was somebody on the inside that was working with those people to destroy something powerful in our community that was moving, that was that was responsible for free lunch, for free breakfast. Yeah. And and watch this, that started as a Black Panther movement was ended when that guy, the black guy, can't remember his name, killed Fred Hampton, set him up to be killed. And then years later, lamented it. Right? We've got to stop destroying ourselves from within. That's what we got to stop doing. Because they will pay us to destroy us. They will they will give you, they will they will and pay you and buy your gun, pay you to kill them, and then talk about how we killing each other. Exactly. That's what they'll do. That's historical. They will pay you to destroy us, one of us, to destroy us, and then talk about how we are destroying each other. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so we have to consider and we have to think about that. We got to stop. That's part of, uh, of the way that we can begin to upend that. Yeah, I know we ain't all perfect and we ain't all, but no, we cannot make it a part of our come up destroying one of us. No, we have to learn how to protect the brand. We've got to learn how to protect the achievement and the accomplishment and not be envious of those who might advance a little bit quicker than us. That's not our job. My job is not to go in your closet to look for your skeletons because while I'm looking for yours, mine are rattling in my own closet. Absolutely. Listen, it's almost time to end this show. It's been a marvelous day talking to all of you, and I hope that you have been blessed, but I need you to keep it right here on The Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith. We'll be right back. Don't miss it. This is the world well, it has been an amazing show right here on The Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith. And I'm telling you, I hope that we stretched you <laughs> a bit today. I know we did. 
having this conversation of black viability and our value and what we really mean to this experiment called Americana. All the way from the coast of Africa all the way to 2024, we have to consider and think about how we are viewed. How we, not only how we are viewed, but how we view ourselves and um, how we see ourselves in a whole idea of knowing that as we live in this country, that somebody, something, some agency, person, and whatever, is still trying to make money off of our black body. That's how it began here. And that's how it's trying to be perpetuated here. And I think that we need to begin to gain an understanding of how much really we are worth and to act accordingly. That that we are not just no a side feature or we're not a sidebar to this notion. It has changed over time. That's why I took the time to walk out the history to you. I think that's important to walk out that history, to let to let you know that there is somebody that from the time we got to this this land that wasn't a country all the way to now are looking at us to say meeting in a boardroom, meeting somewhere to say how can how can we use these people to build our coffers? How can we use these people to do this? What can we take from them that will build us? And as nefarious, as underhanded, as demonically that that might seem, that's a real conversation. And I want us to be aware of that and understand that we, if we would organize and think about black collectivism, if we would come together and not just see ourselves as individuals, yeah, if we would see ourselves as having that kind of power, that kind of agency, if 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 we could see that we live in the institution's mind, that we can mind our own business, making our own things, doing our own music, our own dances, our own culture, our own this and that, our own that. Yeah, if you understand that there's always somebody that looking looking uh, that's looking to see how they can get their hand in it, because yeah, we are black gold. Yeah. Black history is luxury, is American history. But we can never at not one time think that we can rest on our laurels and think that, hey, we can just go along to get along because that is not the way that the world runs, especially not for black people. We are worth. We are the worth. We are the value. And we have the agency to do better. And we will. And we will for generations to come. Listen, as my grandmama and my mama would say at the end of every phone call, I love your bushel, I love your peck, and I love your hug around the neck. This has been yours truly, L. Spencer Smith, right here on The Culture Call. Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. Listen, I need you to keep it right here. More of great, great, great gospel music is coming up. Be nice to somebody, love intentionally, and do as good and as well as others as you can possibly do. The Lord help. Y'all have a beautiful and blessed day. Peace.